Welcome back to another episode of Recap, the podcast where we talk about the latest news featured on our social media pages. This is only part of the news that matters most to voters, and we encourage our legislators to not only listen to what we have to say, but also act on what they hear. You know me, I'm your host, Joshua Hyde, and with me is our analyst, Alex Crohannon, and our writer, Anthony Arnold. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good, man. So it's just another day in paradise. <laughs> Corona vice, as it were. Corona dice, as it were. <laughs> yes. We love it. We do. We do. All right. So let's go ahead and get things started. Anthony, talk to me about our polls. All right. So uh, first off, I want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to respond to our polls. We appreciate your contribution. If you didn't respond this time around, but want to in the future, then watch out for new poll questions. They drop every Friday on the PointCast Facebook page, and we normally share them on our personal pages as well. Uh, with that out the way, there are actually two polls I want to cover. The first is our poll that asks if you were dating or engaged and discovered that the person you have come to care about had views diametrically opposed to yours, would you break up with them? There were a lot of responses to this one, and they were pretty split between those who thought you should leave and those who thought you should try to work it out. I wanted to highlight a couple of answers that represent the two viewpoints pretty well. The first is from Desmond Alves on our Facebook page who wrote, disagreement is part of the game, and this presents an opportunity for both of them to navigate it together, which can actually strengthen a relationship. The second answer comes from Alex's Facebook page where Dylan Bowen wrote, if I was dating someone for six months and their beliefs and values were diametrically opposed to my own, then I would no longer date said person. Both of these answers pretty well sum up the two views we saw from everyone who responded. It's pretty clear that on this topic, there is some disagreement about how you should handle political conflict inside of personal relationships. I know we're going to come back to this later in the show, but this kind of helps set the table for that discussion. The second poll I wanted to highlight is our most recent one, which asks, do you think that all convicted felons should have their voting rights removed, or should all Americans simply be given the right to vote? The answers here were uh, much more uniform. I believe everyone who responded supported the idea that at minimum, after serving their sentences, most felons should have the right to vote restored. Again, from Alice's Facebook page, Keith Moore wrote, I don't think felons should be allowed to vote while in prison, but once they are released, they are still citizens and should be allowed to vote. Uh, that was the standard answer we saw. Uh, we're gonna come back to this one later as well, but I do wanna point out that national polling isn't as clear in terms of what position people support. Uh, for now, I just wanted to reiterate how grateful we are for everybody who took the time to respond and uh, be sure to stay on the lookout for more polls in the future. Uh, that's it, so uh, back to you, man. Absolutely, it's uh, the, the Facebook page and uh, especially the website are great places to, for to foster discussion around these types of things. The polls are great things for that exact reason. So again, thank you to everybody who uh, chose to respond and Please respond in the future. We love talking to you guys about the things that matter to you. That's what we're all about. Now, Alex, go ahead and tell me about some of the some of the trends that have been happening in, in current politics. Well, um, to the surprise of no one, the pandemic and the COVID-19 really um, appear to be the major shaker and uh, sculpture of current, politi uh, current political landscape, especially here in the United States. Very fair. Um, where uh, we have almost... 1.5 million confirmed cases, Ugh. number one in the world. Uh. We are number one, um, with uh, eighty almost with a little over 87,000 um, related deaths um, 
from uh, associated with the coronavirus. So, and those figures are provided to us by the CDC, and those were from today. Um, so uh, we got a. Uh, with that in mind, um, April 30th was when many states' previous stay-at-home orders expired, um, and nearly all states are looking forward to uh, reopening. Uh, they are doing this despite a lack of available testing in most areas, and um, while the rest of the world is concerned about um, what's called a second wave, um, and that is uh, another like another sudden um, influx of uh, of, of infectious cases. Um, so as of today, the only states with remaining shelter-in-place orders are Illinois, Michigan, and New Jersey. Um, <laughs> all right, so I'm going to do a slight pivot now uh, to talk about the uh, Democratic primary, because that's still happening. Yes, like, it is. And all of this madness. Um, <laughs> so on April 27th, the New York Board of Elections uh, announced that they were going to cancel the Democratic presidential primary. Um, a few days later, on April 29th, Andrew um, Andrew Yang, who you might recognize as a uh, someone who was running for the uh, Democratic um, presidential nominee, uh, sued the New York Board of Elections, demanding that they hold their Democratic primary. And uh, early this month, on May 5th. Uh, the judge ruled in favor of Andrew Yang, and New York um, um, will have to have their primary. Um, however, the New York uh, Board of Elections say they plan to appeal the decision, citing public health concerns via the pandemic. And uh, one other thing um, that's come to light uh, since our last um, podcast was um, the sexual assault allegations against um, uh, presumed uh, Democratic uh, presidential nominee Joe Biden uh, by a former staff assistant um, from, as I, by the name of Tara Reid, and she served um, um, on his Senate campaign uh, during from 1992 and 1993. <laughs> That'll be that'll be fun to dig into in a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm certain we will have yeah. things to say about that. But um, those are really the uh, the um, I mean, there's obviously a, a world more to talk about, but those are the um, the highlights from the past month and a half. Okay. Well, it, it sounds like we've got a lot to dig into, and there are there are a couple other things that I had on my brain uh, that I thought I'd share with you that are that have been echoed through uh, some of the posts that we've seen and articles that we've shared on uh, the Facebook page. But let's go ahead and get into the discussion itself. I want to start with the polls uh, because I know that we we all responded, I believe, uh, all three of us on the on the Pointcast Facebook page. But I thought there was a lot more to unpack here, especially given how divided the actual responses were. That actually surprised me a lot more than I thought it was going to, given what I had felt people generally tend to think about, especially politics as, or as uh, Anthony put it, in personal relationships. In my mind, to, to most people, the personal relationship should trump the politics, but that's not always the case as we now know. <laughs> yep. Uh... 
So I, I actually didn't respond, but just so we're clear, uh, what what did you think the responses were going to look like? So um, the, the specific part that gets me, and I, I think that this is an important thing to reiterate as we're having this conversation, is when, when two people in a relationship, a serious relationship, obviously, you know, that they're, they're together or engaged, that, that denotes, the, you know, some seriousness there, um, some, you know, brevity of the relationship, that they have views that are diametrically opposed, not just opposed as a whole. Yeah. Um, and I, I had believed... That, as I said before, the, the personal relationship would trump, I should use that word, the personal relationship should matter more <laughs> than uh, the political difference in every situation is what I thought. I mean, that's how I live my life. And most of the people around me tend to do the same, which is why you have very interesting discussions about politics in my own life, because you know, people don't always agree, but that's normally a good thing because we can regularly have conversation and it doesn't have to be a screaming match. I know that that's not necessarily the case for everybody in America, but given my own personal experience, I had assumed most people would believe or would, would think that along those same lines. I guess that's not, that, that's not completely the case. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the responses we got to this one. I, I, I mean, so... <laughs> there were uh, there's a big discrepancy right between like what data actually shows us and what people were saying on Facebook and so part of me is kind of wondering if there were a lot of people trying to uh, trying to say that they were very enlightened because they know Facebook is public and like oh I'm an enlightened thinker the actual reality and we know this from like lots of polling has shown that over the last 50 years, political disagreement in, in a relationship has gone down dramatically. People do not marry largely. They do not marry outside of their political parties. Uh, hmm. it, it, it's just like, you can look after poll after poll after poll, and they will show that uh, by and large, they don't do that. And like on public dating profiles, like, like those sort of websites need to do that listing your political affiliation has become a a much larger trend because people want to know it before they even go on a date with you they just want to know because it has come to represent a lot about who you are for people what party you identify with and so now like no if the person is a republican a lot of democrats won't date them and just vice versa i mean that's largely true and so i kind of agree with you i i was looking going there are a lot of people saying that they would manage this. But in reality, most of us actually aren't. <laughs> like, that's not what we're doing. Like, if we don't agree with you, we're, we're not giving you the time of the day. That's a good point. <laughs> Any thoughts, Alex? Yeah. Well, um, I'm definitely, uh, apparently in this uh, minority case, um, because uh, my wife is a Republican. Um, <laughs> I am very much not. Yeah. I, I think yeah. anybody who's heard you has uh, been made Same well aware of your political leanings. Same with me. I, I, I yeah. tend to make that pretty clear. Um, but I say so, I say, but I'm kind of like with you, Josh, here. So, like, I'm, 
uh, growing up liberal in a very conservative area, um, I am not afraid to disagree or um, have a discussion or an argument about much of anything. Fair. Um, so I'm, that being said, I, I have experienced like the opposite um, and kind of what you were um, going on about uh, with Jeremy, not Jeremy, I'm sorry, Anthony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that happened. Um, so, um, so, uh, so I, I've seen, so I've just seen a lot of uh, other people um, because I just with politics being as polarizing as it is today, and that's only gotten more polarizing over the past um, four years. Oh, definitely the past four <laughs> years. Yeah. So At I'm not like four. I'm not surprised to really see people saying like, yeah, um, I, I really need to know up front like what are your uh, perceived values. Put it that way. But you know, the, the, the trend had started even before Trump. We had seen it. I, I mean, I think mo you know we're, we we pay attention a lot to politics, obviously as a group. And I think we all are like pretty comfortable saying uh, the election of Obama was the most politically polarizing thing I had seen in my lifetime until Trump. Yeah, I, I mean, it was yeah. like you could have cleaved my extended family in half, just completely cleaved them in half when uh, Obama was elected. That's so, wild. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and this, uh, yeah, I, I had never seen anything like it, say, to, be, uh, to my, be really frank. Say, my involvement in politics began with Obama. Um, I canvassed yeah. for him back in 2008. Yep. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of this probably depends on our personal experiences, where we're coming from. But, you know, I think it's safe to say it, it really started to accelerate under Obama. Um, and then it just has continued to get worse probably over the last dozen years. I think it's just gotten worse. Well, I actually, I'm going to argue um, that it really began um, like this really a uh, polarization really began with Newt Gingrich. And his yeah. hijacking of C-SPAN and turning it into a propaganda machine, yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah, yeah, we don't we don't need to we don't need to go too far into that right now. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. It is, it is, and I I the, the last thing I'll say on it is, uh, and this is kind of similar to what I actually you know put in the in the post whenever I've responded to it. But I, I think that especially in the context of a relationship, right? Like I I I view marriage a bit different than I think most people in America do. Um marriage is kind of just a thing that happens now instead of it being like, you know, well again this is a, this is also a discussion for another day. But I personally feel as though uh, marriage itself has been devalued a lot in in the American culture. And like I take marriage and the act of it and everything else associated very, very seriously. So in my mind, if I have someone who I'm engaged to, someone who I'm planning on spending the rest of my life with, because why else are we getting married? Um, like there, there's so many things, there's so many more things 
that are much more important to me than whether or not you're pro-life or pro-choice. All that really changes is like how we would handle like a, an issue if that would come up like in that situation. I feel like there's a way to work around that personally, like in, in the context of the relationship. But like, I don't think that that means like the, the relationship's just off. Like I, the, the problem that I have is how, how so many people are so willing to just leave a significant other because of, as you put it, Alex, perceived values. Like that's crazy to me. Well, okay. And to be fair on that end, um, so, but like there are some real fundamental differences in um, conservative and liberal ideologies that um, do really spill over into a bunch of other things. Like, um, so what is the purpose of justice, right? This is probably an important thing, especially if you're raising children. So like, so what is the, what is the uh, purpose of justice? Well, a liberal would say the point of justice is to be fair, is to be equitable, is to um, say, have the punishment fit the crime, right? A conservative uh, line point would say justice is there to show you how to live a good life. The purpose of justice is to punish those who stray from a good life. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. I may need some time to ruminate on that before before I, I mean, respond to that further. Those are some stark some stark differences. Uh to circle I'm gonna circle back because I've actually found something that I referenced earlier. So this is from eHarmony. Mm-hmm. So I said normally after an election there's like a people identify as political and then it fades. But they said uh, it hasn't faded after 2016. And it says for the 30 million members, the share of men and women advertising their political affiliation has tripled. Oh, shit. Uh, oh, I, I am not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, some of this, and this may be, I think, this might actually be some of our bias showing through is that we actually, all three of us are in committed relationships. Like I haven't, I, I haven't been in the dating pool in quite some time. <laughs> I don't actually, I don't actually know what it's like out there. It may be worse than the three of us actually imagined. <laughs> that's very well, possible. Very, yeah. very possible. No, I don't know. My sister is, and some of my best friends are actively in the dating oh. scene. And, um, I, I hear stories, <laughs> and I know some of them definitely have the political litmus test and been like, oh, you're um, one of those people? Yeah, this this is over. Done. But that's in the very beginning, right? Like, yeah, like that, that's, that's not fine. after you're committed. That, that's my problem is, is the commitment part. Like, right. like that, that we're talking about this happening after you have committed to this person so much so that you may possibly get married to them because that's the right. point of getting engaged what now what that's the point of getting engaged <laughs> <laughs> well let's let's go ahead and move on we got it we got we got some other things i wanted to cover but before right. uh we leave the polls i do want to go ahead and grab you guys's um you guys's response effectively to the uh next poll that we talked about, you know, the, the, 
uh, felons and their voting rights. And I, I think we're, we're all pretty, like, as you said, we're all pretty united in regards to, you know, the fact that we, we think felons, at least after their service uh, or after their, you know, time spent, uh, should have those reinstated. Um, I, the only caveat that I specifically would add to that is I think your voting rights should be revoked, felon or not, if you have committed some kind of voter fraud or other you know, related political badness. I don't know what all those things are because there's a lot that you can do wrong in the, in the sphere of politics and or voting. But I think that if you're found wrong in, in some of those cases, uh, then that should be something that can take it away. But I, I don't think necessarily being, you know, being convicted of a crime or a felony uh, should take that away, at least while you're outside of prison. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna t- uh, sh- um, take a step further uh, than you guys are probably comfortable. Um, I- I'm gonna go with uh, anyone not serving a life sentence should be able to vote. Hmm. Now okay. that is. You think so? You think they should be able to vote while they're in prison? Yeah. No, okay. absolutely. Okay. A bit of a hot take. As, I, as, yeah. as long as you are not, I say, as long as you are not serving a life sentence, I think you should be able to vote. Uh, <laughs> hot take. <laughs> so, I'm 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 laughing because I I don't quite know where I fall on this, and because I think both of your positions are reasonable, but I think that the caveats you both lay out also have significant problems in them. Yeah. Well, so, so like, so like, like the caveat for like, with what you said, Alex, the, the problem is that the justice system is fundamentally racist and unfair. There are people serving life sentences who didn't actually do anything wrong. We know this because those people are later exonerated. They're like, oh, well, see, we locked okay. you up. So see, they would be the- deprived. And so like, this is where, to me, it kind of becomes an all or nothing. Either they can vote with no exceptions while they're in prison or you're actually going to end up disenfranchising people unfairly at some point. You're right. Um, and, and actually, and so that, that was, <laughs> with that in mind, that was why I wanted to put like, because the, um, because uh, like felony is so like, you know, drug possession felony is um, uh, really easy to get. Um, and because yeah. those are, uh, you know, dis like you pointed out, like disproportionately, um, uh, I say affect people. Um, so that's why I wanted to extend voting rights to like to those people. But I came across the problem of, well, if you're serving a life sentence, you are legally dead. Right. And <laughs> dead people shouldn't vote. <laughs> right. Generally. Generally. We don't, we don't want the zombies voting. No, right. <laughs> no, because they, they'd rise up and overtake us all. That's right. <laughs> Zombie candidate 2020. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm not even gonna take that joke where it could go. But no, no, we're, anyway. we're, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and drop that <laughs> no, for now gonna, because uh, that, that's not gonna take that us anywhere we need to be. Uh, uh, but so wait, let's you go said, ahead and move Josh. on. Oh, I, well, I was gonna. Okay, that's fine. We so, what were you gonna say? Well, I was just gonna add was. 
the caveat you laid out, the issue is the article related to the poll is about a person being charged with a voting crime when it's not clear. Most people don't think she actually did anything wrong. So right. if, like, the law can be manipulated in ways to convict people of crimes that, like, if you say the only way you'll not be able to vote is if you commit this crime, there are politicians and lawmakers who will find ways to convict people of that crime. Yeah, stop them from voting. Yeah, per, that's fair. Say perverse right. incentives. Um, right. Which right. is, I, which I admit is also a problem with what I'm suggesting, but. <laughs> w- w- <laughs> it's a, it's 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 not a problem with an easy answer. Uh, definitely, and definitely that. I I think that regardless of where we where regardless of where we land, the issues that we're going to run into are systemic. Yep. And it unless we adjust or address some of these systemic problems, especially with the justice system, there's no real way to solve that. Mm-hmm. But that can be that can yep. be really said for a lot of the problems that we have here in America. Um, but we'll we'll get into that a bit more later. We yeah. that that that's a that that's a conversation for another day. I don't want to spend too much longer on that. Now, Alex, one of the things that you brought up um, a little earlier were some of the numbers in regards to Corona. Yep. And how we're number Ooh. one in a thing in a in a way that I never really wanted us to be. But mm. in another conversation that we had had, you brought up something else in regards to numbers uh that I want to go ahead and touch on because I think that's something worth exploring. Okay. And I, I believe when we first discussed it, it was about New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Effectively, uh, go ahead and go ahead and kind of recap that conversation for us, and we'll kind of move on from there. Okay, so today, um, New York uh, has the the most cases of really any way you want to cut it. Um, uh, has the most con- number of confirmed cases for Corona, uh, and that's at about three hundred forty eight thousand. Um, now that number, say if that three hundred thousand number sounds uh, familiar to you, it probably should. Because um, I'm going to take us back to uh, to March of this year, early March, you know, uh, where um, we were just starting to um, really be concerned about the coronavirus hitting, um, uh, you know, uh, American soil, and uh, multiple states requested additional materials from the Strategic National Stockpile or the SNS. Uh, which is a federal program created in 2003 to replace the um, National Pharmaceutical Stockpile, NPS, which was used during the Cold War. Uh, And which um, New York requested 300,000 masks from the SNS. Uh, flash forward just a little bit to March 29th, where we are now at about 100,000 um, co- um, COVID cases around the uh, entire United States. And President Trump is having one of his press conferences, and he accuses New York uh, City Mayor Bill de Blasio and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo of hoarding face masks when they say, hey, we need about 300,000 face masks. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you see why I wanted to bring this one up. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> now, um this this doesn't have to be a long one, but I thought it was definitely something worth mentioning. Uh I I'm not gonna sit here and talk bad about Trump. I, I can do that on my own personal platform as much as I want. This isn't about me. But I think that this kind of highlights one of my main issues with how the current administration, not even just him, um, are handling this crisis, especially given the things that I now know about how much we knew about it ahead of time. I, I, I learned through a couple of sources, um, especially like some, uh, I, I can't think of the exact names right now, but uh, there there were like people around the world, especially in China, who had given information to the United States about the possibility of Corona, like I think all the way back in January or February. January. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. January. And like, I, I know in the past, but as we've discussed this, we we've talked about, this is part of the reason why I wanted to revisit this conversation because I, I know we talked about, you know, is it an administration's fault that things like this happen? You know, how, how reliable are they for um, their response to a thing like this? Cause obviously, you know, no, no one, no one can really prepare for Corona as a whole. You know, it's a, it's, it's a pandemic for a reason. We don't have ways to fight against it yet. We're working on that obviously, but the more I learn, the more I get irritated by, the fact that we've just not like we as a nation have just really not done anything what we knew and what we could have done what are you guys thoughts yeah I, i'm with you on that uh, i mean the whole purpose of the, the lockdown we've all been under was to buy time for responses to get the ball rolling for things to be put in place that would allow us to safely reopen. There was never any intention of making this permanent. No one likes what we're doing. No one likes businesses shutting down. No one likes being stuck at home all the time. But we were all sacrificing so that in seven, eight weeks, we would have testing in place, contact tracing in place. We could safely reopen and try to get back to some semblance of normal and the federal government has just not tried to do any of that. Uh, and outside of, uh, I mean, I said, you, I know you said you don't want to bash them, but I'm not going to apply that to myself. <laughs> outside of just callousness and stupidity, I cannot possibly think of why his administration has chosen to behave the way it has. There's no political benefit to completely failing this. There is, in fact, only political pain for them staring at a re-election. There's only political pain for behaving the way they have. Um, there's no oh. financial, up, there's no economic upside there. Oh, oh, oh that's, has, that's not true. That's not he's, true. He's hurting himself. Like, the but worse he plays is, this, the worse it probably goes. But there is huge financial um, financial incentives. I don't know if you're, if you're aware, but... Yeah. Um, uh, say uh, Jeff Bezos is um, currently planning on uh, ending this year by becoming the world's first trillionaire. 
Yeah. But like Jeff Bezos would have been I, I mean, I will never underestimate the capacity for greedy people to just be more greedy. <laughs> I'll never truly I'll, I'll, I don't underestimate it, but whatever financial incentives there are, I, I don't think they, they exist independently in this case. It's not like it either or to me. Like Jeff Bezos like Amazon would have dominated as soon as the pandemic hit. Amazon would have dominated everything because it, like the financial pain and all these other places would have been shut down no matter what. Like Jeff Bezos could have had his cake and Donald Trump could have also not. His cake? <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. I, I mean, again, outside of callousness and stupidity, I can't actually think of why they have failed this so spectacularly. I wouldn't use those words, but that, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to touch on that for a brief moment, especially given that it was something that we also, like I said before, discussed on a previous episode. I wanted to go ahead and revisit that topic. But I, that uh, you, you mentioned, you know, we're on lockdown so that way we can reopen. And I want to go ahead and, yeah, but as kind of the last thing we, we talk about here today, I want to go ahead and discuss reopening in general and uh, how we feel about it. Because I have a lot of thoughts that have not been mirrored in my own personal circle about reopening. And I'm, I'm very curious to know what you guys think. So I'll go ahead and start. Um, I think reopening right now is the dumbest thing we can do as a nation. Personally, I, I, I don't see any benefit in trying to act as if we can go back to you know, restaurants, we can go back to shopping centers, we can do all these things, um, even at half whatever capacity, because the issue that I find is that we as a, we as a nation don't listen. Like if, if we had properly sheltered in place, if people were properly wearing masks, if we were exercising social distancing the way we were supposed to, it wouldn't have gotten this bad anyway. Now, granted, it, again, it was going to be bad. We knew that. There was no way around that. But it didn't have to be this bad. And, of course, you got everybody protesting shutdowns and all this other nonsense. And I'm like, what? Like, how even? Why even? Why, why is that a thing that we're trying to do? And I'm not necessarily one for conspiracy theories. But there was something brought to my attention by someone else in my personal circle that I also want you guys' opinion on in that the reason why we're reopening in the way that we are is because the government, I, I use air quotes for people who can't see me, um, the government can't afford to continue paying people to stay at home. No, not, not, that, I, they, not that they can't. They don't want to. That's what I was going to say. Right. They, that, that's the reason why the reopening is happening right now instead of giving it more time to play out like I feel like we should. Um, and yeah, those are, those are my thoughts on the reopening situation. What do you, what do you guys think? So um, I'm going to pivot slightly. Um, so I don't like Boris Johnson, who's the, uh, who's the UK prime minister. I despise him. He's like the UK Trump, and he's just, you know, less awful. Um, and his uh, administration and his NHS uh, published a report not so, um, 
uh, based upon um, like their, their own uh, polling data. And that said that um, uh, the British people are, um, or sorry, the, the, the UK people, not just the um, British, uh, are will, or say, are most of them, something like 70% are willing to continue to shelter in place um, in, through, uh, say through June and into June. That number drops to about 50% when it asks if they're willing to do it to July. Um, and they cited that uh, they'd like to keep their R number down uh, below one. The R number is the number of people that uh, an infected person gives their um, virus to. So if it's equal to one, that means like the rate of people with the virus is like growing at a linear rate, growing at the same rate all the time. Less than one means it's actually shrinking over time. And um, so they said, well, we want to keep the R, you know, below one, ideally at about 0 0.8 or realistically around 0 0.8. And um, they say, and I've never been more jealous of the great like of being a great british citizen like i was like you're in you're like nhs is like publishing things that are like intelligent and reasonable and based upon science and you guys Data. like under and you guys understand that and it's like oh and then i look at michigan and it's like why <laughs> why can't you are the reason we can't have nice things it's you you are the problem maybe they'll take us back if we ask them, I apologize for the whole revolution. <laughs> hey, yo, this whole America thing, uh, can we can please, we just take that back? Look, can we come back, guys, and please? The prodigal <laughs> son returns. Yeah. <laughs> we tried and failed. Uh, reopening is, I think the whole conversation about reopening is actually accurate. Um, I think politicians are going to push to reopen and, and people are going to continue to distance because people are afraid. Um, just this week, I had another person directly in my social circle who tested positive. This is the second person I know personally who has tested positive. As those stories continue to happen, people aren't going to listen. Like some people will, oh, the politician says it's okay. And they personally want to go back to life as normal. And so they're going to do that. Most people aren't. Most people aren't. My, my parents, for instance, they've already said they're basically social. They're going to be distancing until there's a vaccine. They just said it. They don't care what the governor of Indiana says or Donald Trump says. They're going to stay home until there's a vaccine. They just conceded that, like, we're only going to see our grandkids on Zoom calls. That just, it sucks. They hate it. But most people are going to continue to do that in their personal life because, uh, they are afraid of them or someone around them getting sick and suffering. And so Donald Trump can talk about reopening and whoever wants to, you know, they can raise hell about what we need to do to save the economy. But people are, I, I don't think most people are going to listen to it. They're going to do what they think they need to do to protect themselves well, and their loved ones. Okay. As best they can. Well, and I say, and I, I want to agree with you here, but um, I, I've, as someone in the job hunt right now, um, because I graduated yesterday. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
Absolutely. Uh, say, but I've been talking to a number of people, and here, like, here's the thing: if the if the if you there's not a shelter in place order, um, then the mortgage comes due, then the power bills come, so then the bills come due, and um, when the option is um, go out on the like you know lose the house, lose the home, lose whatever security you can, or jeopardize your security by like you know sell your body on the altar of capitalism um it's a lose-lose situation and the and there's not a yes easy so there's not an easy answer there's not what what you said is actually an important point uh that i wish i had bought up but you're right when the money when the support money runs out for people if that money runs out and there's nothing on the other side, there's, it's not renewed in any way, shape or form, which, you know, Mitch McConnell, it may not be. Um, if that happens then all of a sudden, everyone has to go back to work, regardless of how dangerous it is. Like you can't, yeah. like you just said, you can't be homeless. They don't have a choice. Yeah. Then you really won't have a choice. Well, we're happy, um, happy times here. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that I, actually that's that's a good point to to bring up because when you when you're thinking about this the way that we are, it, it is really easy to see doom and gloom everywhere and feel as if no one's handling this right. And I mean, you look at Michigan and you wonder how you, people have faith in humanity. But I think there's there's an important need, and I saw this. Uh, Yesterday, by the time you know we recorded this, uh, there was that there was that graduate together. I don't know if you guys saw that mm-hmm. uh, the graduate together thing yep. and and the message that former President Obama left uh, with the class of 2020. And I, I think that it is important while we deal with these challenges, regardless of what they are, that we try to stay together and we try to remain strong. But it is crazy. And with there, I mean, there's really no way around that. There's really no way around what this is going to do to people and, and hard choices that it's going to have people make. But I think the more, like, as, you know, personally, if, if you take nothing else from listening to this episode, take this. These times are crazy, but we could only get through them if we work together. And the things that are tearing us apart are more strong than they've ever been especially now so do what you can love the people around you even if you may not like them normally and you know stay safe be careful like this this thing doesn't care who you are what you are what skin tone who you pray to it does not care and it will take every single one of us out if we give it the option to so let's not do that uh, on here, here. Agreed. Um, and another note, um, remember, th- so the, we c- remember that you can utilize the same, um, not, okay, not exactly the same tactics as the, the people in Michigan are using, but organize, organize, organize. Um, if, say, if, um, like the situ- you know, the, the second wave that the rest of the world is worried about comes here, um, which is, Likely. probably uh, say yeah. likely if not inevitable um you can you can just like you can use that same tactic and safely 
petitioned the government and been like, no, 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 you're shutting down. You're shutting down again. That do, do not give them an option. Yeah. This, this conversation about the second wave and shutting down, I mean, we're going to be having this conversation for a while. Um, Most likely. I, I think this conversation, I think it's going to be, I think this conversation is going to be handled for people. Uh, as someone with a young kid, when I start thinking about like uh, a school is nothing if not a gathering of people. And if you're banning gatherings, even say of, I don't know, 500 people or more, you can't open up high schools. North Central has like 3,000 people or something. What is, I, I keep talking about the school issue around with people around me because I go, I don't know how you can safely reopen schools according to any possible guidelines. And if schools can't reopen safely, then people aren't going to be able to go back to work. Yep. <laughs> I, schools, are your schools are your choke point for a reopening. Schools are going to be the choke point. Open people can't go back to anything. So we'll see. Like if they don't handle the school issue, all of this is going to like, well, you're going to stay shut down, guys. Well, let's <laughs> let's hope, as as we've said on all these episodes, that the legislators do listen and act yep. on what they hear. But yep. with that. Uh, I do, I do, it, it will, I will be remiss if I don't mention that this podcast was brought to you in part by El Yak Productions, studio for both podcasters and musicians, and as always, Pointcast News. If you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, please go visit our website at pointcast.news, or of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to like us and follow our Facebook page. We share lots of things there. We're always open for discussion. As always, thank you for listening. I've been Josh. The crew's with me. You guys have a great rest of your day. Gail, take me home.